0: Welcome back to Mike and Mind Escape. Let us help you escape your mind. All right. Welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape We have episode number 162 today uh, We're going to be talking about uh, the Codex Gigas and psychedelics um, And check out our last couple episodes if you haven't already Two great ones, one we did with uh, Matthew Palmieri, uh Visionary Psychedelic Experiences And then one we did with our hometown buddy Adam Bramlage on microdosing psilocybin Two great episodes, check those out And, uh, yeah, you can check out our website at mindescapepodcast.com. And also I just put up a new Patreon episode, uh, for our patrons at, uh, patreon.com slash mindescapepodcast for $2 a month. You'll get exclusive episodes like the one I just put up there. And we also have, uh, t-shirts available. So, uh, send me an email, go to our website under contact us, send me an email and we'll figure out how to get that to you. And one more thing, go to indrasweb.org and sign up to get an alert when the uh, the app goes live. It's the app that we created for Rational Discourse on all the subjects we talk about on this podcast. Uh, me and my buddy who created this thing are holding off a little bit till the media stuff dies down with the, uh, the uh, election and all that stuff. So once things kind of cool off a bit, we'll go live with that. I just feel like everything's been, all the air's been sucked out of the room with all that coverage, so... Um, and, uh, oh, happy veterans day to all our veterans out there. Shout out to some of the veterans we've had on the show. Lee Adams, uh, Sean Cahill. Um, trying to think, I think Tom might've been in the military as well. He mentioned, I think Matt, you might've been in the military as well. So shout out to you guys. If we missed anybody, you know, shout out to you as well. Thank you for your service. And what's going on, Maurice? Not much, my man. How are you? I'm alright. <clears throat> just, uh, we had some bad weather here the last couple of days, so just kind of recovering from that. The, the electricity was going on and off last night, and I know we were going to try and do this last night, so... Mm-hmm. Well, here we are. Yeah, I always make fun of you for your electricity, but... I seem to be
1: on quite the weak parcel. I'll well, tell
0: you that. I'll tell you what. The last night I was looking out my window, it was like seven. It, what the news said it was seventy to eighty mile an hour winds. I've never even really heard of that around here before. So oh, was, that's nuts. The the rain was literally going sideways. Um. All right. Well, today, yeah, we're gonna be talking about the Codex Gigas, and um, people who don't know what that is, uh, it's also known as the Devil's Bible, and it's not called that because it's evil in any way it just happens that well and we're going to talk about the story here in the legend but there is one it's the first image of the devil known uh in in medieval times or the ancient world and um and it's kind of what you would think of as the devil kind of that archetype so uh uh, that's why they call it that there's a a full page illustration of it in there so
1: yeah i actually was under the uh the assumption that it was more for satanic practices but
0: i learned that that's not the case no and the reason why we're doing this episode is not i mean it, the story itself is interesting um the the legend behind it everything about it's super um you know it there's some different facets of it that are just really really fascinating but there's one thing that caught my eye when I was watching the documentary, I think it was National Geographic did some show a while back, and I haven't been able to find it. I looked everywhere online and on YouTube and stuff, but there was this show uh, National Geographic did where they would do all these different mysteries and stuff like that, and they did one on the Co- Codex Gigas, uh, and they had, like, experts in calligraphy and, you know, writing mm-hmm. and all that stuff, take a look at it and analyze it, and... Um, there's some big anomalies, but I, they pulled up the picture of the devil. That's, like I mentioned, that's what this, this uh Bible's famous for. And it's it looked eerily similar to psychedelic entities, not necessarily ones that I've seen, but in a lot of the artwork that we've seen online and stuff like that. So as you can see, these two images right there, that's a little sampler for what this is going to be about. And the artist, by the way, of the image on the right, the one on the left is from... Um, from the uh codex gigas obviously it looks old uh but the one on the right is from a artist named uh pavel Suvaron. i believe is how you pronounce his last name and uh shout out to him we appreciate it so let's get in okay so you watched a little movie on it by the way what did you think just from watching that little youtube video i sent you
1: it's pretty interesting i don't know how i don't want to get into too much here because i'm sure you're going to give some some information on the back there but uh yeah it's uh i was under the impression that the guy wrote it in one night which there isn't obviously any uh documentation or any way to prove that that's what happened but uh the the way that the lettering and everything is so perfect throughout it that's the big mystery and uh if it, it it, it had to have been written by one person because all the lettering and everything is—it's all—it's uh, all congruent throughout it, and you know that these historians have gathered that it might—it probably took around thirty years to make. And how did they? saw, so how did one person do that without a deterioration of? Of their hands or anything like that. So I don't know, getting why don't and you And he get just into read through
0: moment. the whole thing. We're done here, folks. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> That's no, actually
1: just, the whole episode. We're gonna <laughs>
0: read through the book. That was maybe a ten hour episode. It's a, it's a new episode. It's called Maurice's Summaries, where he just summarizes <laughs> it in one minute based on one video that he watched. Okay, so the Codex Gigas in Latin means giant book, and it is literally a giant book. I think it's the largest manuscript known. Um, it's 36 inches and I think it's even like nine inches thick and Mm -hmm. it weighs about 165 pounds. So that weighs as much as most average people I would assume. Um, it is known as the devil's Bible again, because it contains the first image of the devil, um, on the left of that page. So you, on the right page, you have the devil, the full image of the devil. And then on the left, you have the heavenly city of Jerusalem, uh, and in that city it's empty which is kind of a weird thing So is there symbolism happening there Where um, you're not seeing any angels Or God or anything like that You just see an empty heavenly city um, And then On the right the On the page that the, the devil's on It has darkened vellum In spots which do not show up In other worn places throughout the Bible So it's kind of weird that that page Is more worn and has Certain um, Like pigment you know disparities that other pages don't have but then they i think i was thinking about this so maybe they were more people have touched that page or it's been more exposed to like uv light or something like that i would think that maybe that could be a possible cause or there could be some uh some evil stuff at at play too i don't know i don't necessarily subscribe to the whole strictly metaphysical evil thing but we can talk about that too i want to do a whole episode on that at one point too mm-hmm. uh it was written and illustrated uh by a 13th century benedictine monk in bohemia which is now modern day czech republic uh the author or monk was known as herman the recluse um it contains the com- uh, complete vulgate bible which is a latin trans uh translation of the bible as well as other Uh, works in Latin and uh, Between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There are selections of other popular medieval manuscripts including works of Josephus some medical treaties or treats treatises Uh, It also contains a number of you know magical formula uh, formulae uh, calendar exorcism rituals and a 20 volume encyclopedia so the main beef of the book is just the old Testament and the new Testament, but then it's got all these other old manuscripts in there as well. And whoever wrote this book would have to have a lot of knowledge, not just within, you know, Catholicism or the Bible, but just, you know, like I mentioned, all these other esoteric things like, uh, magic, you know, spells and exorcism rituals and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, the book binding is wood boards and they're covered with leather that has, uh, ornate metal fittings, uh, with griffins in the corners of the exterior. So, uh, I should have probably pulled up a picture of the, uh, um, the exterior of the book, but you can look at it online. It's, it's huge. And then the outside and the corners has these, these really ornate, you know, metal, uh, decorations, like I said, of, of griffins on there. So it's kind of the outside looks pretty interesting. Um, it contains, uh, I think 310 pages or leaves of vellum, uh, which vellum is pages made from the skin. Uh, well, this one in particular of 160 donkeys. So, I mean, I don't know if they're, if they killed those donkeys. That's a lot of donkeys though. Yeah. It's, uh, Whew. um, <laughs> send you or run for the hills there. Yeah. It's a um, dark day. Yeah. Initially there were three hundred and twenty pages, uh, but nobody knows what happened to or that says a hundred pages were removed. It that's it's supposed to be ten. Ten pages were removed at some point. Um and I don't know there's speculation. Some people think that it might have been part of the monk's vows on those pages, or possibly something that he felt was too uh risky, you know, to keep in there. Um, and then again it survived the Inquisition, which they thought everything was evil during the Inquisition, so maybe those were taken out then. Who really knows? I have a theory that I'll bring up at the end here.
1: Well, of course, we want to jump to the crazy conclusion that uh, there's some <laughs> satanic thing or there's yeah, some magical spells or the or the, even the, it uh, could be magic. the answer to life, you know?
0: Yeah, it could be magic. It could be some sort of es- es- esoteric secrets somebody um, found interesting, you know, like that episode of... Uh, Uh, was it Curb Your Enthusiasm, where Larry rips out, uh, like it's like a golf magazine, he rips out a page and puts it in his pocket, and it becomes like a whole thing, you know, so um, let's see here. Uh, It was written uh, in the calligraphy style of Carolingian minuscule, which fell out of style in the 1100s, so I think they suspect this book was probably or possibly written between 1200 and 1205, so the style that it was written in was already kind of dead in the 1100s. So whoever wrote this was using kind of an outdated style of writing to write it. Um, the book contains blue, red, yellow, gold, and green ink. Um, the start of the the book of Genesis is missing from there. Um, which, uh, that's kind of interesting. Does that mean that... Um, Maybe the person that wrote this didn't think that the beginning of the book of Genesis was maybe where they aligned scientifically at that point. If somebody had all this knowledge, they probably had a better idea, Um, you know, something along the lines of uh, panspermia or, you know, we're not the only ones here kind of a thing. So who knows? Mm. Just speculation. Uh, It has two images on one of the pages. has two images representing heaven and earth during the creation uh, as blue and and green circles with the sun and the moon and the stars uh, and the planets of the sea with no land masses. Um, When this was written was during the time period when the Catholic Church was using the devil as a spiritual punishment if one strays away from God. So um, maybe that was influential in the person that in Herman the Recluse is um, creating this. Maybe that was in the back of his mind. Maybe, again, it was just something that was common at that time. Oh, yeah, you got to strike the fear into the people. <sighs> well, I mean, it, but that's not... Shout out to uh, Martin at the Alchemical Mind Podcast to I see and there. He just did uh, an episode on fear and uh, evil. Check out his podcast but we um, know that the that darkness has to
1: exist for the light so that's i mean that's that's kind of the but we've
0: also created those things and that's why some people will say well we're all one thing we all have a darkness to us. Right. like that's Carl Jung like that we all have some dark piece of us um that you kind of sort out and um all right so uh let's move on here Okay, so here's the legend of Herman the Recluse. Uh, as the legend goes, a 13th century benedictine monk from Bohemia named Herman broke his monastic vows. His punishment for breaking his vows was to be walled up alive to starve to death. Um, they, om- they were almost done walling him into the monastery when Herman cried out for mercy. He made the impossible deal saying that he would create a book with all the world's knowledge in one night to glorify the monastery forever. They slid him the supplies through the remaining opening in the wall. At around midnight he realized he was not going to be able to finish the book. This is when Herman made a special prayer to the fallen angel Lucifer for help to finish on time. The devil emerged from the smoke in the corner of the room and addressed Herman and his prayer. Herman reluctantly sold his, dole, uh, his soul to the devil in exchange for the completed Codex Gigas, uh, which ultimately saved his life. As a thank you, Herman added a full size illustration of the devil. Um, some versions suggest that the devil wrote it and then left the picture of himself as like an autograph kind of a thing. So there's a couple different versions of how that happened. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, if anybody doesn't know what Wald. Walled up or walled in is they used to, you know, they'd put you in a room or like a cell or whatever and then just like brutal brick it off and then you starve to death or whatever, go crazy, whatever. These people were animals back then. Man. Yeah. Yeah. That's some, that's a real, uh, and so breaking wow. his monastic vows. So I looked through different documentaries. I watched a bunch of videos. I read a bunch of stuff. I could not find what he actually did. So there's no actual data on what his offenses were or what could have caused I mean back then again like you just mentioned they didn't really probably need that great of a cause to do some horrific Mm -hmm. stuff So cut
1: your tongue out okay
0: okay so so here's some things that I found that were you know from uh, looking a little deeper here supposedly Herman was already a prominent scribe and people traveled and paid to see his work so Um, He had been he had done other stuff and back then there was no entertainment. There's obviously no TVs and I'm sure music wasn't the best. So people read and wrote and and that kind of a thing. So people who were amazing scribes or poets or whatever probably gained a lot of uh, fans and stuff like that. So. Herman's name uh, is in the calendar that's in the book, and it is associated with the term inclusus. Now, inclusus can either mean shut in, confined, enclosed, uh, and bound, which is similar to what I just mentioned as suggested punishment was uh, for breaking his monastic vows. The term inclusus could also be associated with the term recluse back then, so that's just somebody... That's you know doing their own thing, a hermit or somebody that separates themselves from society, right? Right. (sighs) Which would make sense. Um, Other reports suggest that the monastery was too poor to provide the resources needed to complete the manuscript. So, a couple things come into play. Is it possible that he completed his magnum opus uh, before he even got to the monastery? Meaning, did he already create this manuscript? Before he even got there, maybe he uh decided to become a monk after, or who knows yeah, that's a good thought um that's a more realistic approach to the whole thing, I'd say, yeah, uh others have suggested that an amateur scribe made the whole thing, but there's not a allowed evidence no. to support that and who's going to use outdated calligraphy, you know with that precision and all that you know so someone of
1: a master yeah. Su- with, with of, of drawing and, and knowledge created that yeah. and, it, and it was obviously done by one person. So
0: yeah. All right. So here is that image of the first image of the devil that's found on the manuscript. And again, when I saw this, I thought psychedelic entity first. thing, yeah, ref, I, I didn't I remember even, when you showed me this, you said, does this look similar? And I was like, yeah. And again, it's not one. I've seen entities more usually of the gray archetype uh or like a rainbow bean kind of a thing not necessarily um this but there's different archetypes in different places you go when you go into the psychedelic worlds and it's almost like a quetzal
1: quaddle ask
0: yeah well that's a good point i mean the feather, you know the feather plume serpent look at that um yeah that's not a bad point out Um, and obviously our episodes with Tom Lane, uh, in his book, uh, the search for the blood of Quetzalcoatl. Um, so we have, so again, this page is super, it's, it's a lot more warm than the other pages. Could it be from UV light or just people touching it more? I assume that this was the prized page back then too, where this is what people made a big deal about back in ancient times or whatever. So.
1: Well, take it in terms as a crazy horror movie that we see today. If someone heard about this, they go, there's this image. Like you said, there's no movies or anything like that, so good drawings go a long way. So someone sees this thing, boom, now you have this this whole image and word of mouth starts to spread.
0: Absolutely. Okay, so now here's... The image on the right is from an artist. I'll put his link down below the video after we're done. Uh, Again, it's his name's Pavel Souveron, I believe you pronounce his last name. Um, And uh, we went a little bit back and forth a little bit on Facebook. And uh, I just, I I, I saw the image. I'm like, I want to use this in the episode. So I reached out and, you know, we're always all about permission. I don't use people's images or whatever if, they're not aware, whatever. So, um, but I'm glad I did because there was more, um, there was more to the story than just him making this image after a DMT trip. So on the right is Pavel's, um, his entity that he encountered on a uh, DMT. And then on the left again is the, the devil from the devil's Bible. Now, I don't, obviously, they're not exact, but look at the hands. Uh, look at the horns kind of compared to the other horns, I guess. You could also say that the one on the right's a little bit more Medusa looking with the hair and the um, things sticking out. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think obviously there's some differences, too. But think of this as like the one on the left is like the 1200s. DMT right. entity and now we have technology and we have all these arch- different archetypes and our worlds different, our consciousness has evolved. So the one on the right's a little bit more of a modern day one. you know what psychedelic I inspired him to draw that? Yeah, DMT. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh no, you're fine. Um so I wanna go here. Um so this is my hypothesis. So After watching the documentary on the Codex Gigas uh, and seeing that image of the devil, again, my first thought was this is a psychedelic entity. Uh, After looking into the different versions and legends surrounding the Codex Gigas, I learned that it was written by a hermetic monk who understood alchemy, Mm. uh, because there was alchemical texts in there as well. Uh, Throughout history, alchemists have had a knowledge of psychedelics and psychoactive elixirs. Uh, I believe the devil Herman saw was, in fact, a psychedelic entity. Um, Check out our episode with author uh, of alchemically stoned P.D. Newman as he describes how ancient alchemists had intimate knowledge of psychedelics. Um, There are many trip reports of people encountering these entities. We've had, I mean, I don't know how many episodes we've done on psychedelics now, probably 30, 40, maybe even 50. Yeah, Um, I'd say a third of them. And we've had different people on, and I don't care whether we're talking about DMT, psilocybin, salvia, LSD. People have seen these different entities on all these different psychoactive compounds. So, I mean, I've even seen weird things. I mean, I've done obviously all, all those, but I, I've seen weird entities even on MDMA, which isn't really considered a traditional um, psychedelic. psychedelic. Yeah, but there are psychodi- psychedelic <clears throat> properties to it. Sure. Um, the depiction of the devil in the Codex Gigas looks similar to the DMT and psychedelic entities I've seen in artwork and stuff online. So I, ha- I did see some other ones. Again, I wasn't going to just pull artists' renderings and use them without their knowledge. So, uh, But I thought that that one was pretty close, the one that Pavel did. Um, so let's go here. Um, so pa- Pavel... Havel, I believe, is, um, he said that he calls his piece Heyoka, and, uh, or Heyoka the Light Lightbearer. Heyoka is actually a sacred clown, jester, or trickster of the Lakota uh, people, the indigenous people of the uh, Midwest here in the United States. Uh, Lucifer uh, also translates to Lightbringer. So right there you have two kind of interesting things together, one of them being a jester. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other half of it being associated with Lucifer, so is it a coincidence that this person created this image that incorporates two parts of the other thing you know, like meaning that did Herman the Recluse also see this entity um was it some endogenous chemical release or was he messing with elixirs? Who knows what was going on but I just find it interesting that Herman did a prayer to Lucifer um, and saw that, and then you can pull, I'll pull up a picture of a Heoka, which is a sacred clown, and it's very similar to all three of these, too. So I don't think that there's a coincidence there. Um, the role of the Heoka jester in Lakota culture is to help people think deeply about things they normally don't by being contra- a contrarian or operating in the opposite fashion as everyone else. So typical trickster, kind of an archetype in that sense. But uh, if you look it up, it's interesting. It's somebody that's doing the opposite thing to bring attention to things and then ultimately the goal is to make you think deeper about that thing. And that's actually um, uh, a good thing in a way. Um, and bringing attention to all these different things and, and the way that they go about it, you know, I, I like that aspect of it. So tricksters can be a positive thing. Obviously, they can always... All be a negative thing in some regards I guess depending on how you look at it um, the artist Pavel also described the DMT trip that uh, inspired his Hayoka jester as being in hell so we were going back and forth as I mentioned he said it was like being in hell however it was not some sadis- uh, sadistic pit with demons he described it as more uh, as being an encounter with a devilish jester who showed him his own darkness and flaws that he had been da- denying to himself he said that the shame that he felt was excruciating uh it was unpleasant but at the end it was very cle- uh cleansing and gave him clarity and peace of mind in the end so i don't personally i don't believe there's an actual hell like i don't believe that there's some spatial realm that you go to when you die where your consciousness goes to this place and you get tortured but you i believe think it's in the, the hell
1: annihilation or whatever no i
0: believe in this kind of a hell where you can encounter it in waking life, you know, or psychedelic realms. Like it's a, it's an actual, it's a state of mind or a a place that you can go, you know, in your mind when things are the darkest. And I think that obviously this person had this profound experience and ultimately was good because it helped him figure some things out. But again, he mentioned it as like being in hell. So I mean, I don't know if you've ever had an experience like that. I've never had a psychedelic experience like that, but I know other people that have. So, obviously, it's a very real thing. No, I don't. I haven't really done it enough to... Well, I guess it could happen at any yeah, point, I don't, but... I don't think it's it's a matter of doing it more or less or anything like that.
1: Yeah, but I've also not taken a massive dose of anything either.
0: Yeah, I think it's when you break through with psychedelics... Is when stuff like that happens uh, or if you're not prepared for the dosage that you took and you're kind of like a you know newer to it or something like that yeah um he also mentioned that all of his other encounters with dmt entities were either funny or educational so again this is somebody that drew this thing on their own and i saw a striking similarity to something else and there's also more connections there so again there's the, the two side by side okay so on the right we have the Hayoka gesture and on the left we have Pavel's rendition of the Hayoka DMT gesture um see now this Hayoka gesture look at the the fingers similar you know the if claws. The claws aren't aren't the same, obviously, because we got some sort of half-machine here that Pavel did, but um, let's go here. Now look at the similarities between the three. Um, look at the hands and the feet of the Haoka Jester. Um, so again, I don't believe that these things... I don't believe that this devil is evil. I believe it's probably some manifestation of the mind. I could it be some sort of archetypal thing? Like at the time, if people were scared at, of it and then, you know, did Herman have some endogenous release or did he have an uh, uh, experiment with psychedelic and the psychedelic acted like some sort of uh, placebo effect showing him something that he had already been into? Something like that? I don't know.
1: Well, the possibilities back in those, well, the, I guess we could do them today, but, you know, people would whip themselves to, to release chemicals in their brain. So even in... We've always been trying to, to get messed up in one way or another, either taking something or depriving yourself. I mean, I of something. I think you're talking
0: about people that do that stuff to themselves, like from Da Vinci Code, that guy that's like following them around the whole time. That it's like self right. self torture or something like that.
1: But like, you know, I was maybe we'll do an episode on it. But the uh, the perception, the doors of perception. He talks at the end. He's talking about of heaven and hell, and he's talking about uh, how people have always been trying to release the either releasing the chemical in their brain or taking something that will allow them to to break through to the next dimension. Hmm.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's what people are trying to do now. You know, there's a lot of people trying to induce DMT through Kundalini and different types of like meditation and yoga and all that kind of stuff. So, um, I mean, I think you're right with that in that regard that people will always try and do some stuff. Um, Now, where did the knowledge come from to try and do something like that? You know, we even, we, the episode we had, uh, when we had Dr. Rick Strassman on, um, I asked him about that one and the anecdotal evidence of people, uh, being in complete darkness for two to three weeks straight How There's, I think the guy's name is Montauk Chia. Um, and he mentions it's on YouTube. You can find the one clip. I don't know, but he mentions inducing DMT through darkness, uh, like naturally pro- produced DMT through your body, um, for if you are in complete darkness for two to three weeks. And I asked Dr. Strassman about that, and he said there's no evidence to support that. But I don't know. I, I guess it's something to look into. Or yeah, I remember I know when you when wanna, we're, we're gonna shoot a, a show where Maurice just sits in a, in the darkness in a cave for three weeks, and we're gonna see what happens
1: very riveting but i was gonna say when we were in high school i remember talking to this one kid he was like one of the main drug dudes and we were talking about maybe doing some mushrooms in the weekend he's like yeah that, that that's fun and all but if you really want to take it to the next level lock yourself in a car for a weekend Oh my god,
0: <laughs> <laughs> it sounds horrific um, but, but i know i know what that like- guy's i know what that person's probably saying though like like you you will go crazy. There's something about it. I know what you, what, what that person's talking about because I've been in the car for like a day, you know, mm-hmm. and I couldn't stand it.
1: So. Well, I think his parents went out of town one time, and he like deliberately locked himself in this car, and he <laughs> they took him to a, took him <laughs> higher than he's ever been.
0: <laughs> oh, that's crazy. Um, I think that uh, I think when you do stuff like that too, it's just altering your consciousness in general, right? I mean. Yeah. You don't necessarily need drugs to get outside the normal, you know, day to day consciousness. Something like that. Like there can be, like I, I would even consider it kind of negative still because you're you're depriving yourself of something. You know, like you could well, alter
1: either eat or drink. You know, well, no, so, yeah. but you could alter
0: your consciousness. I mean, there's times where we've gone camping and we're hiking or we're looking at this beautiful scenery and you feel that same feeling in a way. You know, mm-hmm.
1: so, I also read a thing where. They, they they talk about doing it with a with a lover or someone and you stare into their eyes for a super extended period of time. I've never personally done it with another person, but I have and looked at my eyes in the mirror for like ten minutes and strange things start to happen.
0: Yeah, that too. I've done that. Looked looked into the mirror into your eyes. Yeah, you start to dissolve. Dissolve and um, I also, um, oh yeah, I forgot. Uh. El- uh, Martin from the Alchemical Mind just commented, I remember listening to one of his episodes where he, was in, he locked himself in a tent for a couple of days. Yeah, you will go crazy, bro. I mean, what do you mm-hmm. think is going to happen? When we go camping, I'll sit in the tent for 10 minutes and I got to get out of there. So,
1: Well, my last backpacking trip, it started snowing and the temperatures dropped below zero. I sat in a tent from what 3 p.m. till 6 a.m. and I didn't go crazy, but I thought about my entire life. <laughs> so...
0: Yeah. Yeah. But like I said, you don't need, you're right. People have always been searching for that and that's the goal, right? Even people that do psychedelics that understand them really well, um, have always had the, these aspirations for not needing them and achieving those states via meditation or via, um, whatever you want to call it. So, well, it's a lot easier now that we have a knowledge of the chemicals and things like
1: that, where we can take a couple of mushrooms or the DMT or whatever and get right to, get to that point but then uh, you know at the same time there's people that argue with that saying that that's the easy way out and you really need to to to, to do the stuff that uh, is not based on ingesting something and you can I, go either way
0: I'll say this my observations of when people say oh that's the easy route or that's the shortcut um, those people usually don't do psychedelics or have not in a while or something there's some weird thing there where there's like you know, there's a reason why they're saying, I don't think that very few people have I met where it's like, yeah, I've done a bunch of psychedelics, but now I just meditate and I'm not, that's great. I mean, I, I want to get to that level too, where you need nothing, but you're just yourself to uh, get to that level. But I, like I said, online and stuff, it's usually people aggrandizing themselves or talking like they've reached some level of enlightenment or maybe that they're, they've never experienced psychedelics. So usually people that haven't experienced something will talk about it as if it's less because they don't know whatever
1: yeah but don't you think there's a, there's some truth to where let's say you, well because it's happened to me i've taken like uh some psilocybin or acid even and you figure out the meaning to life but then when you come down it's gone i think that's what they're kind of referring to is if you want that that key to to stay with you you have to kind of get there in more of a
0: sober state maybe i don't know the key of it here's what the key is the key isn't sober not sober this or that the key is to draw from these experiences and take something out of it in my opinion i don't care if you're taking psychedelics if you just meditated if you are playing a sport or whatever is take something important from the experience that's you know i so i don't know um i think that you can take something profound from anything if you know what you're looking for in terms of Different altered states, so um, I don't think necessarily, I agree with
1: that too. But don't you did, haven't you had that aha moment, and then when you come down, it kind of is. Well, faded here's away. what I'll say:
0: I, there was years why where, where I didn't do any psychedelics, and then I thought th- the same thing. I'm like, yeah, I'm you know I know what it's like. I don't need. And then when you do, you're like, oh, I needed that. You know, it was like mm-hmm. cleaning out the cobwebs. I'm not saying you have to do it or you should do it, but it's something that in my past and experiences that for me it's been beneficial now everybody's different but um again i just think that it's less about how you get there and more about what you're taking from it so if that makes sense like if if you can get something out of anything or become a better person whatever it doesn't matter how you get there no
1: well i think it's about sustaining the mindfulness
0: right as long as you're not being harmful to yourself or others is my point like if you can get to these places you know, whatever, great. So all right. I mean we can go back and forth about that's a whole different episode. But I honestly right. like I said, I see both sides of it, but usually the people on these for like if you go on like a Gnosticism forum and you you'll have people that have done psychedelics and then you'll have people that haven't done psychedelics and the people that haven't done psychedelics like, yeah, I've heard that you know it can have beneficial effects and you can have these crazy experiences, but it's a shortcut. That's yeah. the, that's what you see from people. You're not seeing, "Oh, I've done it for 30 years and now I meditate because I've learned, you know, I've very few of those." So that kind of a thing. Okay, so here are some images from the Codex Gigas. Um I think the one, I don't know what the one on the left is. The one on the left is the beginning of some book in the Bible, I believe. The one in the middle is from the beginning of the book of Matthew, I believe. And I don't know what the one on the right is. But look at how intricate that is. I mean, yeah, Herman the Recluse wasn't just a, a great uh, scribe, but he also, look at these, this imagery.
1: Yeah, that's what I was saying. He had a vast knowledge of a lot of different things he also
0: could draw. It looks like my uh, notebooks in high school. <laughs> Maisie's notebook I I used to draw actually you've seen my notebooks I doodle like that actually on some of the pages I could have been an amazing scribe back in the day just give me those inks <laughs> Um, and that was interesting too we just did that episode on uh, science news recently with the ancient stuff and how the Egyptians used lead in their ink to dry the ink faster it was like a technique for drying mm-hmm. so that's crazy Okay let's go to the next one here um, Okay so on the left I think is from the book From Josephus Where that's what I was talking about With the planet where it's all covered um, In water I think And then the one below it It's just all land uh, So it was talking about uh, and Like I said I mentioned in the beginning But yeah so you get some images In there um, But uh interesting stuff. Again, this book's huge. I mean, just think about that. 36 inches long, nine inches, you know, width, and then it's 165 pounds. That's, you need two, three people to just right. carry this thing around. Are you going to get into the, the, the fires and stuff? Yeah. And, right. Oh, don't, you're just going to ruin everything. So you already ruined, it. I asked you about a little bit about it. You go on this rant where you just <laughs> name, named all the facts that you had within the first five minutes. Okay, so this is when we get into the curse. Um, so the, there's the curse oh, boom, of the devil's right there, Bible. Baby. So, um, it was most likely again written between 1205 and 1230 AD. The Bible was traded to the nearby uh Sedlik Ossuary in 1290 uh 95 AD. Uh, the Celd- Celdic, um Ossuary, um, where's it? Celdic, I misspelled it, I think it's Sedlick. is the most famous for being decorated with the bones and skeletons of roughly 70,000 people. So you gotta look up this, the the Sedlick Ossuary, because it's literally decorated with human skulls and bones and everything. Um, I saw a a couple pictures of it. It looked pretty brutal in there. Uh, Shortly after it was traded, the original monastery in Bohemia was burned and destroyed during a Hussite invasion. So um, the uh, the original monastery that supposedly produced this again, there's differing opinions on whether the monastery could have even helped produce it because it was so poor. But the original monastery was destroyed after the book left there. So the uh, Sedlec ossuary sold the codex to a monastery in Prague, where it stayed. I think it was Brevnov, uh, where it stayed until 1594. Okay. So in 1594, Holy Roman Emperor Rudolf II took possession of it at age 42. Rudolf II had a fascination with the occult after Nostradamus had a vision that predicted his father's death. So he was around this kind of stuff his whole life.
1: Well, if you're around Nostradamus, yeah, you're going <laughs> to. No, seriously, yeah. the, if you're
0: going to be around a guy like that, you're going to be into that stuff. Right. Um, and Rudolf II had an unhealthy obsession with the Codex. And specifically the image of the devil. So there's even suggestions that he would try and make himself look like the image in um, in the book. So he was kind of crazy. Um, there's some people that said that he actually might have gone crazy through genetics. because There was a lot of inbreeding um, mm-hmm. in his royal family. Um, that maybe he was experiencing psychosis or schizophrenia or something along those lines. Uh, he spared no expense bringing the top alchemists, Edward Kelly, and John D. into his court. So there you go. John D., if you don't know, um, big-time uh, occultist. And we'll probably do episode on John D. and Edward Kelly sometime in the future. So if you're into alchemy and stuff, I'm sure you've heard of those too. So... Again, this book has been touched or touched a lot of people in some of these circles that, uh, are pretty famous. So he was also, um, obsessed with the philosopher's stone. Uh, he, and we've had, again, uh, P.D. Newman's work with, uh, you know, ancient alchemy and all that stuff and alchemically stoned. And, um, a lot of these, you know, hermeticists and, uh. Alchemists back in the day knew or probably knew how to uh produce DMT or obviously people have been eating mushrooms forever. I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can go on that. So,
1: so yeah, that might have led him to a, to more insanity if he wasn't stable to begin with and started to take dabbling in other drugs.
0: Yeah. For sure. Um yeah, I mean again, John D. like the whole Enoki and magic and um these Conversation or you know they're being like angels And that kind of stuff so you gotta Look more into that if you're interested In that kind of stuff um, He eventually went crazy and lost the trust Of his people and died in 1612 after being stripped of all of his Power by his younger brother uh, Matthias um, So he, he The the devil's bible Has been associated with a lot Of uh has been a, like a lot of like weird things. So again, I'm going to get into some more stuff here, but um, just a lot of like random events and different, it's popping up different times in history. Um, so in 1648, during the 30 years war, the Swedes found it and took it as a spoil of war on Friday, May 7th, 1697 an intense fire broke out at the Royal castle in Stockholm and the book was about to catch fire. When it was rescued by being thrown out of the window by a few people, the uh, 165-pound book landed on a man who was fleeing from the fire, and supposedly the man survived. But, I mean, imagine a second, third, fourth-story window having a 165-pound book drop on you. I mean, you're you're lucky to be alive, so um again there's many instances of illness or weird events surrounding this book um from 1649 to 2007 the manuscript was kept in the swedish royal museum uh royal library in stockholm uh in 2007 after 359 years the codex gigas was returned to prague on loan from sweden until 2008 uh and now it's currently back in stockholm uh there's another anecdote about i think um somebody that worked in the the uh, Swedish Royal Library who, in the middle of the night, books started flying off the shelf and then the Codex Gigas flew off the shelf and then they found this person, like, cowering under a desk, shaking the next morning, like, what, what happened kind of a thing. So I don't know if you believe that. It could just be an anecdote. Who knows?
1: Yeah, it's hard to take any of this stuff well, it's been such a long time, like, you know,
0: and then the word of mouth gets in and right. all things get get misconstrued. All right. So the mysteries of the Codex Gigas. So you kind of mentioned this early on. So the weird thing is not that the book um, has a picture of the devil. Um, the, the weird part is the story of the, um, how it was written and how long it was, you know, how long it took to write. So. Academics and researchers have inspected and analyzed the book, and they've concluded that the book was completed by one person based on the calligraphy, illustrations, and style. Uh, They assert it would take somebody 20 years. Oh, okay, so I found this. So I think it said five to ten years of around-the-clock work, meaning that it would take five to ten years if they were literally writing all day and all night, Mm -hmm. which nobody could do. So they I think they say like twenty to thirty years of nonstop writing for like a normal person's day. Uh some yeah, some suggest it would even take thirty years. So that's a long time. I mean, supposedly the Pier- the Great Pyramid of Giza was built in twenty years. So they're saying this book possibly took thirty years. So Well, one man. I don't believe either. It. So
1: You thought it was made in the night.
0: <laughs> um where did the legend of completing it in one night come from? How can the legend and science used to analyze and theorize it exist in the same universe? So this is kind of where the discrepancies are. So if they're saying that it took that long to write, then how does the legend play into this of him writing the thing in one night? And that's why I mentioned to you earlier on, did he already complete his magnum opus or complete this manuscript before he even got to the monastery and then offered it up maybe to save his life saying, I'll do this in one night, if you let me go, and he already knew he had it, you know what I'm saying? Right. So that's one of my theories.
1: But how does he get out of the wall? To produce the produce
0: thing? He already has it. He they probably he were gonna wall, the wall? Up, They're probably gonna wall him up in his own place. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? His own room or his own whatever.
1: Do you, how you know the age of how he how old was he when he was getting walled up?
0: No, I don't. Because um,
1: the whole thing with the the book is it, it's more of a younger man's work because if you're working on something for 30 years, by the time you're at that 20, 25, 30 year mark, your hands are going to be pretty beat up. Right. Unless you're some amazing artist. Again, I don't really know how that works. But if, you, if you're doing everything by hand, it's
0: hard to be that precise. Right. So that's one th- aspect of it. Um, was ho- was Herman working on the Codex Long before he broke his vows Again that's what I just mentioned How the legend could have been intentionally Okay so another theory is What if he had already wrote, written it And then used the legend To further it Meaning that like think about authors now Like somebody will write a book And then they do like a press tour Although you know Things sell better when there's like a story Like there's something salacious about exactly. it Exactly So him creating the legend about it himself um. so that's why i even think more in terms of like this guy was like a hermeticist he was into magic he's like how can i fool oh i've seen these entities but they're via psychedelics and people don't know about those because only you know handful of people around here understand that you know or something mm-hmm. along those lines yeah that's a good point um so he's known forever now
1: because of it so yeah hey. he
0: cemented his place in history um if you're going to say some amateur wrote it, well then what would be beneficial of somebody else writing it like that and then giving this other person the credit that doesn't make any sense? Because Herman's name's actually in the calendar in the back of the uh, Codex Gigas. Mm-hmm. Um, is it possible that he completed, oh, he said that. Uh, others have suggested the amateur scribe thing. I don't, again, I don't buy into that. Um, What was the catalyst for the vision of the the devil? Was it psychedelic or was it meditative? Like I said, too, I mean, if you're a monk, I'm sure you're really good at meditating and prayer and getting into, like, that deep state. I could see somebody seeing, I mean, I've seen weird stuff in meditation, not necessarily that, but I've seen other similar weird things. Yeah. You know, deep in meditation. So it doesn't have to be via uh, an exogenous chemical so okay what actually happened alright so I again I believe he spent most of his life working on the codex gigas I, I would assume that um, he was a recluse let's just say you know they said 20 to 30 let's say he was working fast and he worked a lot of the day and the night you could say 15 years I mean you figure he could have been 20 when he started it or whatever and he's 35 hey I'm going to join a monastery or whatever Mm -hmm. I don't know I don't think people lived all that long so he must have been pretty young when he started yeah but I mean back well yeah they had um, there's obviously the quality of life wasn't as great but, uh, but yeah he was a hermeticist and a recluse he had knowledge of magic exorcisms ancient texts and esoteric topics that I assume most monks did not regularly dabble in in those times like we mentioned Uh, He probably had knowledge of psychedelics via alchemy and alchemical texts um, and ancient texts. He may have experienced the devil uh, entity via psychedelics again or meditation. Um, Some have suggested the -the around-the-clock work on the Codex Gigas also put him in a meditative state. So that was another interesting thing that I, I read that working that hard on something and having that much focus on one thing would put you in some sort of meditative state. So or a flow-type state. Um, So, yeah, after it took him 20, 30 years to create the Codex, he created the legend around it. Another thought I had was maybe he broke his uh, monastic vows again and then offered it up, um, you know, saying that, you know, the devil helped him. Uh, I also believe that the devil um, probably... I believe that he probably... Saw weird stuff if he was dabbling In that kind of stuff but um Again that archetype did a Psychedelic or some altered state or Some endogenous release Um bring up that Archetype that trickster mm-hmm. archetype I don't know Um you know like what did he Know you know I don't I've never read What's in there as far as magic and, and Alchemy and stuff but did he know About DMT and MAOIs And um psilocybin or was it some uh you know that was the other thing i was thinking about too is like the fear of him you know being killed or walled in you know would that create some sort of uh fight or flight or some weird thing happening within the body and chemicals and absolutely hormones and all sorts of stuff um yeah you would think so yeah it gets your juices flowing and if you knew you weren't going to finish and you were going to die I would assume you'd probably start seeing some weird stuff Mm -hmm. um the other thought was maybe they did wall him in and he finished this thing when he was starving and and nothing else to do yeah and they they open this thing (laughs) up it's just it's just a skeleton and then the books completed yeah um again was he an avid you know meditator and he encountered you know metaphysical entities so, these are all questions I was asking himself. You know, did he disappear to darkness like Da Vinci and come out an ascended master? Um, these are all speculations, obviously. Well, has magic
1: ever been proven? Because essentially, if we're saying this guy wrote this book in less than five years, some kind of magic was involved, and that just has never been the case. There's always some kind of reasonable explanation. What do you mean, magic? In terms of like the devil writing it or whatever? Yeah, or this guy getting some superhuman ability to. The complete, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you said, Yeah, the no, that's what this whole episode's
0: it. about is decoding this thing. Right. Because cause I think, let's say he created it before and then used it to barter for his life. That's magic. And because that's like, that's like saying, that's like sleight of hand, but it's like sleight of word. You know, like you're using, you have knowledge over this other person, and you're going to trick them. So that technically that is magic to me. If you're magic right now, just being you. Then pulling something like that off is magic. hmm And in magic in real life to this day, like you watch a magician, all they're doing is looking for blind spots in your perception and in your, you know, your what you're observing in your you know.
1: Well they understand how the human mind works. Yeah, they
0: understand how the mind works. So they know, okay, your mind's not gonna pick this up, you know, this move or this move. So I mean same thing, kind of, I think. So yeah, I don't think that there is actually any magical thing happening with the devil again i don't even believe in like a hell or anything like that so and yeah you know you could say the same like you know the what's that called the uh the thing where people uh the secret or what you know that the thing the secret all that uh-huh. is is you're putting all your energy and attention into something and yeah, of course you're going to complete stuff and it's going to move you towards your goal because you're putting all your attention into something. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. It's like you saying, I'm going to become a photographer. When I first when you first said that to me, I'm like, dude, you don't even take pictures. I've t- taken more photography, like a photography class. and stuff. Like I've done more than you. But now here you are and you're an amazing photographer because you put all your attention. Just like this podcast. When we started this podcast three years ago, you know, nobody gave it a chance. Even you, <laughs> even you didn't give it a chance. And I go, I'm gonna force this thing into existence. And here we are today. We're doing the podcast, so we have people listening. So yeah,
1: yeah, the mind is a powerful thing.
0: The mind is a powerful been. thing. Will will is a powerful thing. Passion is a powerful thing. So yeah, I mean, that's just kind of well, that's it as far as the. Uh, well, I like.
1: I like your theory of him being it's already being written that makes some sense to me.
0: Yeah. I mean, I well the, he either wrote it when he was at the monastery so it took him all those years or whatever or he wrote it before he got there. Hi, well, hypothetically too, I was thinking about what if he wrote it and they found it or something and that was him breaking his monastic vows because there was like magic stuff and like i mean i don't know what the benedictines saw as uh um cool or not cool with their vows but i assume some of the esoteric stuff in there wasn't cool um you know them who knows maybe the pages they ripped out were the pages that he got in trouble for or something
1: yeah that's a good point well we know they have a lot of problems with a lot of things because well, you know, yeah. Jesus' whole life is, is not documented, so.
0: Yeah, yeah. I just saw something, too, on uh, Twitter, some article about the lead plates detailing something about Jesus that they found or something. I mean, again, there's a lot of dispute, uh, dispute over whether Jesus was an actual person. I know we've had psychedelic people on our podcast that think he was a mushroom, and we've had other people that think he's just an archetype. We've had other people... right. Uh, that think that he, it's an allegory for our solar system, you know, so. Who knows? Um, But that's, so what do you think? Going through the Same whole thing, pin- like, what, what's your opinion on the whole thing? I, opinion of what? now? this, what do you think, based on everything I just laid out there for you? Do you think it was well, some sort don't... of psychedelic entity? Do you think that it was just some archetype that, you know, like, people probably talked about it like as a legend or, oh the devil and it looks like this and it's got horns and this and that, you know but it, that devil even kind of looked different because you kind of associate with the devil with more of like pan you know with like the hooves and things like that yeah
1: yeah i i i could definitely get down with some uh some visions and i don't know why we all have these same thoughts of 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 entities aliens or the devil or uh, is it is it because that's just the image that's been beaten into us for so long, or is there really something deep down that's producing that image? But yeah, man, I I I I'll get on board with the DMT thing, cause that does, or some some type of psychedelic, because like I said, I think that's a it's a maybe a symbol for the old Quetzalcoatl with that serpent face, and um, I don't, know, I that's what I would
0: lean more towards. Yeah, I. Uh... That yeah, you pointed that out. That's interesting. The the uh plumed feather serp or the the feather plumed serpent. I think that uh um yeah, you look at like dragons and stuff like that, I mean who knows? But I, I just think that a lot of these things can be explained here okay, let me put it like this. You've been alive on this planet, what, thirty five years?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Have you ever seen anything insane um in real life that we've talked about like some of the the weirder things that we've talked about on this podcast? Have you ever seen anything like any of the weird stuff that we've talked about in your day-to-day consciousness or life? No. But you have seen and done weird things on psychedelics on, you know, in meditation or whatever weird things you've done. I'm sure you've experienced weird things. So um, or... Not to
1: the extent of you, but I definitely haven't done anywhere near the dosage of you. I've only done 1.75 of the psilocybin. Yeah, so. that's nothing. Right. That's more of the entry load, the level dose. So I, you know, I was there when things were starting to shift around, but I've never... Like the stuff that Tom Lane's talking about, That I could definitely see that taking you to a whole new level. And the fact that they all see that same thing, that's, that, that leaves me to believe that there's something within all of us and we 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 see it with the use of DMT as well. We all have some kind of collective vision that uh, that appears when we when we dabble in these substances. So there is something locked within us, or you know, it might be dulling the senses, and we're seeing
0: things that are already there at all times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just my whole point was that I've never seen. Well, I guess we. Uh, I, we're still going to make that video I haven't gotten around to It's just been busy But of my weird orb sighting with my dad We both saw this like aura Oh yeah yeah And this thing just like Takes off in two seconds Um, So we'll talk about That's the only thing I can think of In like day to day consciousness Where I wasn't like Even under the influence of um Like THC or you. CBD at that point during the day So mm-hmm. Yeah I don't know um it's just
1: hard for us to put ourselves into that mindset back then because the world was just such a different place and um again with the mysteries that surround stuff we 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 talk about it all the time how history is just one big game of telephone so you have to kind of pick and choose what's real and what's not obviously this book exists well obviously some one person has wrote has written it because I I believe that it's impossible to duplicate there's a reason why people analyze handwriting because right. it's
0: all very unique to yourself, so yeah. Widow's son also pointed out that uh, monks would have had to have practiced alchemy in order to heal or cure sickness. So, yeah, that's a good point. Um, uh, and what?
1: Well, yeah, when you're dabbling with that, you're trying to find different cures. One thing might heal, one thing might make you trip, one thing might kill you. Yeah, and they don't know, so they're they're doing all kinds of different stuff.
0: Right, and even that's why you know you look at that. Uh, um we were talking with uh, Matthew Palomari a few episodes ago. We were just talking about, you know, we we're talking about like tropanes and these like uh deterra and like all these crazy ones that don't really sound that pleasant, you know? So, mm-hmm. but yet people take them and people have had okay experience, you know, so it's just weird um, different reactions for different people and stuff. But uh, yeah, I think again, my whole point with the whole metaphysical thing is, is even like, priests or gurus or whatever they're meditating they're deeply meditating you are altering your consciousness to get to this other thing i don't ever see anybody that's some like enlightened person that's just like yeah i've been in my day-to-day consciousness every day for the last 50 years and i'm super enlightened it's it's getting out of this day-to-day consciousness to see that there's more is i think the whole point i'm not saying it has to be via uh ex- exogenous chemicals and i'm not saying it has to be strictly just whatever it is but i'm just saying getting out of that day-to-day consciousness is i think what helps people see and gets gives people these experiences maybe it's lucid dreaming maybe it's sleep paralysis um who knows
1: yeah well said my friend
0: (laughs) well i just i mean this is my experience too i know people have had weird experiences in day-to-day consciousness too i have just never experienced that i don't know anybody that's had Um, been completely sober and day and like during the middle of the day, and like some weird, insane thing happens, you know. So,
1: yeah, but even if someone says they've seen something in normal day to day, they you don't know what's going on in their brain, right? They could have a spike of one thing or another. That's the whole
0: thing. It's all, it's everything so subjective to the person, absolutely. So, again, that's just my that's why I like you know where our thoughts are going on this, you know, it's even, you look at like the book, the immortality key, it gives like a rational explanation. And look, I like weird things. If there's like some weird metaphysical thing that can't be explained. I like that. I want to, I want to figure out what's going on there. I love that. That's my favorite thing. But at the end of the day, I'm not just going to believe like some YouTube video or just, I'm going to look deeper, you know, I'm going to figure out what's going on in my opinion. So, and that's what we implore everybody that listens to the show to do. Don't is there a is there a known like
1: consensus of what the actual like historians believe the book was how it was created? Or yeah, whatever? they don't know.
0: They just know it was written by one person and that it would take thirty years. So that's why the I mentioned that the legend of how it was created versus the reality of it are in competition because there's no way, you know. So,
1: but again, I like the one theory that the guy just talked it up and pretty much made himself
0: famous because of it. Right. So, but yeah, uh, Jay, uh, Caesar just said it's all chemical reactions, 100%. Oh yeah. So like what's going on though, when things are happening, when those reactions are different, is it our perceptions now allowing us to see more of what's actually part of reality or is it, you know, taking our perceptions and warping them or altering them? You know, like what's going on there uh, I think that we'll probably get some sort of answers with all the psychedelic research going on.
1: Yeah, well, I think in our lifetime there's going to be a lot of stuff that
0: uh, emerges. Well, I mean, it's, we just it's, have to be patient. Yeah, I mean, and the serotonin receptors, the five HTP two A, and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, I think we'll figure out at least a little bit more about all that kind of stuff. But if it's possible to know that there might be mysteries that just will never well, be answered, it, and that's it, it, we have to accept that, even if they figure out, like, oh, this does this. Or again, we come to the the hard problem of consciousness, which I don't think is going to be solved in even our lifetime. But but we'll get we'll do episodes. I want to. We got some stuff coming up. I want to do. We've got super volcano part two. We've got the Lucinian Mysteries episode that I've been keeping in my back pocket for a little bit, but we're going to pull that out here soon. Um, and what else? I think we got a bunch of new guests coming up, so that'll be fun. And yeah, we love everybody. And, uh, if you haven't checked us out on Patreon, go check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash mind escape podcast for $2 a month. You'll get exclusive episodes and content. I just uploaded, uh, an extension of our conversation with Matthew Palmeri on there um also check out our website uh mindescapepodcast.com i have everything on there uh, i'm probably going to write another blog here in the next week for uh our blog and uh yeah anything else
1: sounds good my friend looking forward to the oh, next yeah. one.
0: Oh yeah check out indra's web.org sign up to get an alert when the app goes live again we're holding off a little bit till all the media dies down a little bit and we can get back to some critical thinking on things like consciousness and altered states and ancient civilizations and all the amazing stuff we talk about on this podcast. So check that out. And I'm trying to think what else I think that's it. Um, shirts. If you want a t-shirt, it's a, it's a, a black t-shirt with our logo on the front. And uh, I think if you're in the U.S., probably $35. If you're outside the U.S., we'll have to figure that out. But if you're interested, go to contact us on our uh, website and uh, send me an email. Beautiful. And that's it. We love everybody. Stay safe out there. I don't know. We'll try and get another one in this week if uh, Mr. Busy Maurice's uh, <laughs> schedule allows it.
1: Hey, man, you you canceled hey for man. tornado weather. Yeah,
0: well, you got to well, do what the, you got to do. the
1: tornadoes don't flow, then yeah. there
0: might be a show. That tornado might be headed towards uh, Maurice's <laughs> house. And we know his yeah, grid is
1: not is not stable. Not so. stable. It all has to do. Literally, the last time uh, it, it rained for a second and the power went down <laughs> for a day, full day. Yeah. So you thanks, DT.
0: God coughed in this kid's, yeah. this kid's internet and uh, lights browned out. So, All right. Well, everybody stay safe. We love you. And we'll catch you next time. Peace. Cheers.